Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Good morning. Hello, everybody. I'm here. Mark's there. How are you, Mark? I'm upbeat, Michael. It's The weather is increasingly spring-like, and the restrictions on our personal lives are kind of gradually being eased. So everything seems all right, doesn't it? And I'm finally watching Taskmaster, and I'm only about 700 episodes off your series, which is quite exciting You've for me. You've got a bit of work to do still, but nonetheless, all of this is comes under the banner of progress, doesn't it? Progress indeed. And we're pleased to be unveiling another episode of mankind. Unveiling. Oh, I like that. Yes, we unveil. <laughs> this week it's a case of Jay Hume. Also, I apologise that everything's wobbling. I don't own a desk, so this will just balance neatly on my mattress. So everything just as I move. Oh my goodness. Oh my word. Last night it was balanced on a box that was full of just knitting. Wow. And then there was an upside down bin on the box and then there was a book and then there was the laptop. Oh, God. What kind of laptop is it out of interest? It's made of leather because I'm here for the aesthetic. A leather laptop? But perhaps I might absorb the inevitable fall. Yeah, but I still think at some point, Jay, it'd be good if you got a table of some description. <laughs> I just don't have the space for it. <laughs> I'm an artist during a plague. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, a figure that not everybody will immediately be familiar with, but like many of our guests, a very interesting slate of occupations. He's a performance poet, writer educator and recent convert to Christianity, which is a first for us on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's the first time we've properly spoken about faith in relation to masculinity. So it's really interesting. Not interesting. Fascinating. Oh, I don't know. Happy unveiling. Enjoy. Well, hello again. I'm still Mark Michael. Gosh, I keep thinking I'm not me. That's about the second or third time you've almost yeah. said I'm Mark Watson, but it's Dis- not true. Dissociating at this point. Um, I am Michael. He is Mark. And this is Jay. Jay Hume. Is that how you say your surname? It is. Like David, I suppose. But you've got an extra L. I always say it's like the bit of Manchester. Oh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, like Cheadle Hume. Yeah. Like a what? Yeah. Oh, that's a bit of Manchester. Oh, I see. Well, hello to all of our Mancunians. <laughs> and also, hello, Jay. Can you please describe to everybody who you are? I'm a poet, I'm a performer. I talk far too much on the internet about churches and poetry and stuff. I write for kids. I perform at events when there's not a plague on. I do whatever it takes to make money in the arts. (laughs) Jay and I met, well, we haven't met, but Jay and I got to know each other in unusual circumstances on Twitter because last year, during a very brief respite from the plague, which Jay uh, accurately describes, when we were allowed to do live shows, I did a show in Chester and I was admiring 
Chester Cathedral in the twilight, and I did what I thought was a it was a light-hearted original tweet saying, uh, well, there wasn't that much thought put into it. But anyway, I basically just said, just walk past Chester Cathedral, and that is one fit cathedral. And somebody forwarded it to Jay or looped Jay into this conversation, and it turned out that Jay has been perving on cathedrals for a, a long time. It's an actual thing that you can do. Yeah, it's like, like I sell T-shirts that say cathedrals are sexy, and they're like the best seller on my website. What's the most sexy part of a cathedral? Or for joke purposes, the apps right okay for actual purposes it depends on the cathedral i do love a ceiling i like lying down and looking at a ceiling painted vaulted wooden stone i don't care so do you lie down on the floor in the middle of a cathedral oh yeah 100 percent. people get very concerned yeah it's not something you expect to see when you're looking around a cathedral <laughs> someone lying on the floor in the center <laughs> yeah well if you get right in the middle and everything lines up perfectly it's <sighs> as i say, this was my first time tweeting lasciviously about cathedrals but it turned out as i delved deeper and deeper into jay's timeline that he'd been looking at cathedrals in this way for years although and we'll come on to this but not as a so-called religious person until very recently no it's just a standard architectural perv until recently and then you started to feel well, we'll yeah we'll come on to this the, the way that jay started to develop a relationship with faith and things through the perving around church this is a very interesting story in its own right but we normally start with some talk about masculinity we do we, normally start there and the the first question we ask everybody is when was that first brush with masculinity when you were younger when do you first recall it as a thing existing well i think it's really weird because as i didn't mention in the intro i'm trans which means that i was sort of everyone thought that i was a girl when i was brought up mm. um, but my family were also really weird in that they were hippie bikery types and so there was this strange not a lack of gender roles, but a strange mishmash of everything. Right. And all of their friends were very odd too. And so I feel like I knew that masculinity was a thing, but I didn't actually know it was attached to men. Right. Um, in mm, this strange yeah. sort of way. So, you know, there'd be these really butch lesbian bikers rocking up and I was like, you know, a seven-year-old me, masculinity. And then my dad flouncing about like, He's quite typically masculine, I'll give him that, but he has like very long hair. There's this strange, strange understanding of masculinity where some of the men, I didn't think, contained this masculine thing and the women did. And it was all very odd um, and obviously led to a perfect storm when it came to me not knowing that I was trans, but also not knowing that gender roles were really a thing. Mm. And it all went horribly wrong when I was younger. But it, yeah, it was it was very weird. There was a vibe, but I, I just didn't know that it was typically attached to a specific gender. Yeah. When do you remember seeing it kind of attached for the first time when it kind of formed corporeal form, I guess? Probably when I was in about year five or six at primary school, when people from sort of more typically gendered backgrounds and more typically gendered families started to start to enforce that on other students in school. Right. So sort of, mm. yeah, year five, year six, you know, everyone started being splitting the boys and girls up properly and people started flirting with each other and being really heterosexual, which I didn't get either. And yeah, I, I feel like it was that, it was that moment when all the other kids started enforcing masculinity and being like, oh, you're supposed to be a girl, don't do that. And I was like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> what? What? We have spoken to trans people before who part of how they came to accept the idea of transness was that they had, Grown up in these sort of backgrounds where masculinity and femininity were sort of, you know, blurred together or not defined in as traditional a way. It's interesting. It's like all you were waiting for was for the word trans mm. to be a thing. And at school, as you say, things are pretty heterosexual for a long time. They really are. 
it's a shame. When did the possibility of being a trans person come into existence, I suppose, in your head? When did you kind of first see that as an option, as a kind of, oh, that's that's me? Oh, that was way later. I always I always say I wish I'd known a lot sooner yeah. that trans mm. was a thing, um, which is yeah. why I talk about being trans, because like, people should know it exists. Yeah. I don't think I realised trans was a thing that existed until I was about 16 or 17. Okay. I mean, I feel like I'd vaguely had the idea of trans women through the media but it was always very negative portrayals and so obviously i wasn't one of those you know freaky things that everyone shouted at on the television you know during jeremy kyle or whatever it was jeremy kyle in general wasn't a particularly valuable series for fostering (laughs) understanding between different groups of people no it really wasn't um it was however really good for finding out who'd been on it because every sort of term, somebody at my school would have a relationship with somebody who had been on it. Like they knew them, they'd worked with them. Never more than a couple of degrees of separation from a Jeremy Kyle show. Yeah. <laughs> it was very exciting. I went to an excellent high school. <laughs> so I didn't realise until I was, yeah, 16, 17. I was browsing the internet as one does when you're a massive nerd who only likes TV shows and has no friends. And I found this <laughs> web comic where there was a trans guy and I'd never thought of the idea of trans men you know because of course the media love to shout at trans women because they transgress the idea of masculinity which is a really interesting topic as far as sort of historically and if you trace it back all homophobia and transphobia comes from a core of a fear of those who transgress stereotypical gender roles and so it all comes out of sexism almost which is very interesting yeah but yeah so people like to shout about trans women and just never mention trans men it's changing now obviously that was years ago i feel old now but (laughs) don't get me started jay i'm about twice your age i know right but yeah so i i I read this um, webcomic and i was like oh my god it's me and then i was like no it can't be me and then i like just sort of read it under the covers like the whole thing it had been going for like two years or something at that point i just read the whole thing over the space of a week i was like oh my god it's me no it's not me yes it is oh no this is going to be a thing it's a fascinating thing this that the internet makes possible these moments of revelation in a way which would have been very very difficult to imagine 20 or 30 years previously is it important to you in the writing you do for kids well in the writing you do generally to offer these kind of uh, examples that people can find in their turn or do you not feel the responsibility specifically to do that the thing that is really amazing and really difficult particularly in children's writing is that in books you shape people's worlds yeah it's not just the stereotypical you can't be what you can't see but books for a long time have been this very heavy thing you know like you read a book it's somehow more than watching a tv show it's somehow more than watching a movie or listening to a song there's something about a book yeah you have a relationship with it and particularly when you write for kids you're shaping their world you know how many of us are who we are because of things that we read in picture books that we barely remember Mm. as kids and so putting forward that idea and i i don't like books that sort of lecture but whenever i write i always try to write in an idea of kindness, of a better world, of a more inclusive world. I recently finished a book that I keep telling people is an um, it's a mini epic poem about a dragon, but it's not about a dragon. It's a massive trans allegory, but also it's a 100% about a dragon. These poets with their devious allegories. <laughs> <laughs> We're sneaky. Um, yeah, you're always getting meaning in you. that's why i like poetry as well because you can you can layer it Mm. but yeah i think it's really important that you tell stories and just by being present um i always put that i'm trans i don't make a big thing out of it my books generally aren't about being trans dragons aside i think that's the first one i've done which is actually about being trans explicitly and deliberately but the fact that i'm present is really important because people need to be able to see that there are trans people who exist and trans people who exist in lots of different ways. You know, we're not just like trans rights activists. We're children's writers. We're people who work at your local co-op. We're, you know, teachers and speakers and actors and hmm. normal, just normal people. 
Um, and I think that's really important. Yeah. The most recent collection, Clouds Cannot Cover Us, oh, yeah. spoke about some of those feelings, I suppose. You've spoken or written about it being in, in two halves almost, like sharing the emotions of, of turbulence, working out where you were in that world, and then the sort of acceptance or the kind of more liberated side of yourself where you then knew where you were in that world how did you find that acceptance where did the switch come so i came out as trans to my friends first as most trans people do Mm. and they were all very chill about it and very supportive and then i came out to my family and that was a bit dicey and throughout my whole childhood being a massive nerd i'm a big fan of buffy the vampire slayer aren't we all oh absolutely so um I'd, i'd always sort of been obsessed with it and i'd also when i was younger been a huge fan of the bbc merlin tv show yes i remember that with um what, Colin, what was his name? Colin Morgan. Colin yeah, Morgan. I was Ooh, going to yes. say Colin Firth, but I knew it was wrong. My favourite character was Uther Pendragon, which is a very hot take because I kind of wanted that father figure and it all tied into this weird masculinity and there was this father-son relationship. He was in Buffy. And obviously my father didn't see me as a son and he was in Buffy. <laughs> and so I was like this weird ringleader of the Tumblr Anthony Head fandom. And I've, <laughs> I've purged myself from the internet, okay? It's all been deleted, so it's okay. I can talk about it now. So I was a huge fan of him and I was sort of so much of a fan that he was aware of how much of a fan I was. And by aware, did that involve in a court? Yes, how court aware? Dispute? And, and how troubled was he? <laughs> <laughs> no, his. I used to like raise money for charity for his birthday and things. Oh, that's kind of pure. That's at the benign end of super Yeah, it's really wholesome. Yeah. And I came out and he found out that my parents were a bit dodgy and all of the things that I'd had signed with him and the photos that I had like fan conventions, I couldn't sort of bring myself to look at them because I was feeling a lot of shame about who I was previously before. And he found out and he was like, Let's do a nice thing. And he invited me to his farm. Oh, well, that's wow. gorgeous. Well, his wife has a farm. And the, him and his partner sort of just spent the day with me and were really, really nice and took new photos and re-signed them. Like they had them printed the same day and signed them. And it was really nice. And I met horses for the first time, which being a city person was an entirely extreme experience. I was like, oh my God, it's a horse. They're massive. They're so big. I didn't know they were that big. There you go. <laughs> this podcast is good for all sorts of information. I think. And yeah, I can confirm horses are a good size. <laughs> Depends on the horse. Anyway, he was really nice to me and it was sort of the first time I'd had a an interaction with a guy who I'd you know I'd seen as this sort of masculine figure in my life he was my male role model and he was extremely kind and gentle and very like very loving of his wife and very tender and respectful of animals and it was all this sort of softness that I haven't realized could exist within masculinity Mm, right and I sort of had this revelation of that's the kind of man I want to be that was sort of a very big moment for me in that I saw who I could be because all of my sort of male role models before they were, they weren't bad people, but they were hard, you know, they were hard, they were harsh. That softness is often missing, isn't it, from the typical male? Yeah. Uh... And I thought that I was going to have to become this kind of man. I was not a fan of that, particularly as when I was younger and working out who I was, I was very mean and cruel and quite violent and I was trying to be this man, even though I didn't know I could be a man. You know, I was rebelling against everything. Yeah. And then at that point, I was ashamed of the past, but hadn't got a a roadmap to the future. And it sort of just opened up for me on this random hillside in the countryside outside of Bath. That really is a role model in the truest sense of the word. Someone who actually gives you a vision of what you might 
V. Really amazing. Yeah. And my middle name is now Anthony. Ah, very lovely. A reminder to not be a dick. That's <laughs> uh, what that is. You didn't go for Pendragon. I'm not that much of a nerd, although, I, God, I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> we often ask in our podcast about role models when you're growing up, and you kind of answered that question with Anthony Head. Um, answered it in surprising fashion. Yeah, preemptive. Yeah. Is he still your role model now? Or do you have other people that you kind of look to as people that, that yeah, espouse qualities that you think are good? I mean, I think he always will be in that sense of that gentleness, of that softness. I haven't really encountered someone to this day who does embody that as much. There is just a willingness to be vulnerable, particularly when he's with his partner. But I think a lot of my role models these days are my friends. Um, Most of my friends are like weirdo poets. We love them. And because they're weirdo poets, they're very honest about who they are and they're very true to themselves and they all have these strange little things. I think another role model of mine um, is my second oldest friend. Being trans, you sort of lose a lot of the people you knew when you were younger um, because you you don't literally become a new person, but as far as the world's concerned, you do. Right. You know, I can walk down the street in the place I grew up and nobody will recognise me. But yeah, unless you sort of hold on to people, you, you lose them really easily. And so I've got these friends who I consciously hold on to, so it's very easy to work out. Specifically where in my oldest friends thing you lie. Uh, but my second oldest friend actually ended up being a QI elf which is ridiculous. Brilliant. And he was just this super nice guy and is, again, very kind, very soft, very gentle. And he's going to be so embarrassed if he ever hears this, but he is definitely one of my big roles. Go on, name him. Well, he recognises himself. Give him a name. name, Ethan Ruparelia, the QI elf. There we are. Is a lovely person. Like, to the point that when we were in, like, sixth form, he knew that I often didn't have a school lunch because we were a bit skint. And he would bring in food for me, like, on the regular. He was just such a nice person. Wow. So he was sort of an elf in real terms even before a QI elf. He was just an all-purpose one. Yeah, although he's, like, six foot three. Oh, I see. <laughs> so. There you go. Elves can be bigger than you think. Horses can be smaller than you think. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Um, I'd love to talk a wee bit about, it was last year, I think, when you found Faith and how that happened. The story of how you 
sort of turn towards God's interesting, but also the repercussions of that for a trans person, I find extremely interesting. So do you want to talk a tiny bit about how it happened? Well, how you started to um, take your relationship with cathedrals further. <laughs> to the next step, as yeah. it might be. Oh, they're so sexy, guys. I know everyone's going to be like, <laughs> re- people listening to this are like, really? I'm like, just look at them, okay? They're so hot. You, you know I get it, because I, I started this with Chester, and Chester's not even the sexiest one. Give them a top three. It's going to be Durham. I've heard Jay talk about Durham before. Yeah. Durham is the love of my life. She is the number one cathedral. You don't live far from Durham Cathedral, Michael. I visited you... once recently, yeah. and I liked the, um, what are they called? The, the point, not spire. There's two spires. There's not really a spire, it's, it's pointy, pointy bit. Okay, okay, no, no, no. A spire <laughs> is the pointy bit that goes on top of a tower. So it's just towers. Yeah, Durham has towers. She has three. She has the two at the West End and then the Central Crossing Tower. I know too much about churches. I liked the two at the West End. I thought they were nice. Uh, so Durham is gorgeous. And then a couple of other, a couple of other sexy ones. Yeah, so Durham's my number one. Ely is very sexy and you couldn't build Ely Cathedral today because there are no trees big enough. I've been to Ely Cathedral as well. Yeah, very substantial church. Yeah. <laughs> Lincoln is sexy, but people keep telling me that it's sexier than Durham, so I have to be mean to it on principle. I've seen you being bitchy about Lincoln Cathedral. I've yeah. also seen you bitching about Lincoln <laughs> Cathedral online. <laughs> I think I might go throw in a curveball because everyone's really mean to her and say Coventry. I really like the modern. Oh, the modernist one. Yeah, Yeah. they're objectified cathedrals in this way. (laughs) They're just sexy. Where did this come from? I mean, this this interest hasn't just happened in the last eighteen months. Like, when did you first kind of go to a cathedral and go, "Oh, I want a bit of this." My whole childhood, I just liked the outside of churches, um, pretty architecture. Um, my parents um, were big into motorbike racing. And when I was in primary school, you could still take your kid out of school during like term time before they got really mad about For that. foreign holidays. Yeah. yeah. So they used to take me to the motorbike racing in Italy. and But claim that they were taking you on cultural trips. Yeah, they started asking what they were taking me out of school for because they started to crack down on this. And my parents were like, oh, we're, we'll, we'll take them to like see the statue of david or whatever they did not they took me to a motorbike racing track and i snitched on them (laughs) and and so the next year they had to actually take me to the like historical places so i saw all of these like the cathedral in florence with the duomo oh Mm, yeah and all of this sort of beautiful architecture very different to the english style um which i prefer these days but it was really um it was really just sort of this moment of things can be beautiful and i just love beautiful things and i think churches and cathedrals because people are building them for something more Mm. they're tapestries of people's love and care for a place and a space yeah and they just tell beautiful stories and i think that's why a lot of people without having any sort of religious belief still feel unaccountably moved by visiting a cathedral but then at a certain point not very long ago as we've heard you actually did start to feel that there was something beyond just the building the blog post that i read began with all right you bitch referring <laughs> to God, referring to the big guy. To God, to the big guy. So uh, how did your journey towards faith begin with calling God a bitch? Well, he's got a lot of people trying to get his attention, I suppose. You've got, <laughs> you've got to offer something. Go big. So, uh, you know, I was, I was visiting churches and cathedrals and just being like, oh, you're sexy. Not yet calling God a bitch. Well, I don't even go in because I'm like, oh, Christians will hate me, right? I'm way too queer for this shit. Which is what I want to come on to, actually, yeah. And I kept doing that in various churches and through Ethan, actually. I was in Bristol and Ethan was like, come up to Durham for the summer holiday. So I went up and if you go up to Durham on the train, if you come from the south, the way Durham's laid out is that the cathedral sat on top of a big hill almost in the middle of a river that loops all the way around it almost. So all three sides are surrounded by a river and it's sat right on the top of these big cliffs. It's an amazing view. I can confirm. Yeah, from the train. And I'd never seen anything like it. Right. And Ethan knew that I thought like old buildings were sexy anyway so he was like do you want to go to the cathedral and i was like yes thus began my love affair 
and so I, I I fell in love with Durham and it made me be like, maybe I'll go into some church buildings, but only the ones that are really touristy so that I have plausible deniability. All of these feelings I have are just about how sexy the buildings are. And then I became the coach of the Durham University Poetry Slam team. And my deal was that I'd charge them less than I normally charge for workshops if they just never booked me during Evensong at the cathedral. And here I was like, I don't believe in God. I just love going to the service every single night. So I was just in denial for like a few years and it got to the point where I was like, I need to do something about this. And through Ethan, I'd been introduced to the first real Christians that I'd known in my life, genuinely. Yeah, but you didn't see a horse for quite a lot of your life. We've established that. (laughs) Yeah, so I went up there to do my workshops as I did sort of every year around autumn after they got the new kids and started them in in the team. And one of the sort of alumni was graduating and so we were like, I'll take you for dinner. We'll go to the cathedral. We'll go to Evensong. We'll do lunch. We'll have a chat. So we go to the cathedral and I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is getting silly now. And the Christians that Ethan introduced me to were massive gays. And so I was slightly more open to the topic than I had been previously. And I was sitting in the cathedral and I was like, look, you can't keep making me feel things like this all of the time. Like I'm a poet. That's what I do. Like either do a thing or fuck off. And I distinctly remember the do a thing or fuck off. Okay. Which is the sort of challenge that God doesn't always like probably, but. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) We leave the cathedral and we go for dinner and we end up walking along the river paths in Durham, which are unlit and unsafe and you shouldn't walk on them at night. But the guy I was with is like six foot white skinhead plays football. We were fine. <laughs> we were walking along and the river had flooded that day. Um, and so it was really, really fast and full of debris, really loud. And I was like, let's go sit on this bridge. It was late. And why would anyone be walking on the lit paths, right? So we have the bridge to ourselves. And then this small group of people started walking along the thing and this guy detaches himself from the group. And then he climbs onto the edge of the bridge and I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? And the guy I'm with runs over and like tries to talk this guy off the bridge. And I'm standing there and the moon's really bright and the river's flowing really fast and loud and the cathedral's lit up behind me. And I'm like, do a thing or fuck off. And the guy's standing on the bridge and my mate tries to talk him down and fails. And the guy jumps and we're like, I'm like, oh shit. You know, like I'm um, starting to wonder whether you should have ask god to do a thing by now so i like knew how bad this was right the river's full of debris it's icy cold it's flooded it's flowing fast as we are ahead there's nobody about it's just not a good situation and then we hear these sort of shouts on the far bank and some people had been walking along this path that leads to nowhere except for the boat sheds i remind you it's unpaved it's unlit it's unsafe and it doesn't go anywhere and they were walking on this path and he'd washed up at their feet and he was fine and i was like do a thing or fuck off. Fair enough. And then the next day I was like, I went to the cathedral and I was like, hi, can I talk to a priest? <laughs> Thus began the journey. And if we fast forward to where you are in that journey now, mm. I mean, this is, so this is interesting. You've had a sort of Old Testament worthy incident of God revealing himself to you through a dramatic episode. Mm. You've been fortunate to meet and know Christians who are, as you described, the massive gays. So you've had various ways in to the church as a queer person. But nonetheless, and part of the reason that I'm interested in what you have to say on Twitter and everywhere, is that obviously the Christian message is about love and loving one's fellow man, about a lot of the things which we would consider the most attractive ideas in society today, equality, fairness, and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, But as we're all aware, some aspects of the church are enormously unsupportive of well queerness (laughs) or any kind. So, yeah, what's it like? Being a Christian, knowing that a lot of your fellow Christians don't think what you're doing is is fine. Um, I think it's really interesting because because I didn't know any Christians. Like the first Christians I actually made friends with were massive gays. Yeah. So I just don't get it. I genuinely can't reconcile the God that I've 
come to know and the God that you read about in the Bible. So you've never seen a contradiction between being a Christian and, and being queer because you didn't come into it with any of that baggage? No, there is no contradiction. God created me as a massive queer and God delights in my massive queerness. And I think God themselves is in many ways queer in the way that the word was originally defined. You know, God is both male and female and other and both and nothing and everything all at the same time. How is that not yeah. not queer, you know? But a lot of Christians, presumably, well, a lot of more traditionalist Christians would say that God well, that God did not create you as a, as a massive queer, that God intended you to stay the way that, well, it's not even true to say stay the way that you were, but you see what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to get to the bottom of how people can be so intolerant while supposedly addressing themselves to Jesus's message, basically, as an outsider looking in. A lot of it comes back to masculinity. Good. Thank so, God for that. Tick the box. <laughs> ah, phew. Hey, if you look at historic stuff, you know, there's the idea of God being a man, right? Which isn't true. God is neither man nor woman nor anything that we could comprehend. Mm. God doesn't have a gender. Gender is a human thing. God, gender's human nonsense. God's above such stuff. So God having no gender or no... Yeah, no gender. When did he start being being called a he with a capital H? When did that happen? It began right at the beginning right. in translations of the Bible, because, of course, the Bible was written originally in like four or five different languages. Yeah, it's, sure. it's Greek, it's Aramaic, it's Hebrew. Male was the, was the base. It's the default. Yeah. It was default. So even in many of the original writings, God is male, but in the way that male was default it didn't mean that god was a man it just meant that okay. that was how we speak about things that are yeah. alive everything's important is, is male <laughs> yeah yeah like there's a dog it's a male it's, it's all masculine and so people read into that and then you read a lot of the early stuff that people use to attack queerness what we call the clobber texts texts which are just like if you do this you will be it's based on a reading that's divorced from the context of the piece so the Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, everyone likes to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, they destroyed the thing because they were gay. And I was like, no, they destroyed the town because they were raping their guests. But people choose the bits that they like, of course. Yeah. And being gay is always threatened masculinity. And if you want to go super into it, if you go back to the ancient world, being gay wasn't wasn't a concept. There was no gay. Mm. But there was the idea that there were men who received like women would. And that was seen as shameful emasculating and back in the ancient world kings and warriors and whoever who took over or took a captive or deposed a king they would anally rape them so that they were emasculated mm. and so what the bible is telling us not to do is not to not be gay it's telling us to just like not rape and emasculate random men that we've captured which is fair yeah i feel like that's a decent vibe to have <laughs> right but of course as time goes on the idea of being gay continues to be this idea of something that's emasculating and things that are emasculating and go against the sort of idea of masculinity and transgress that seen as negative and are attacked same as this is why trans women are attacked more than trans men because the idea that trans women would give up and remove and almost destroy this idea of masculinity. Yeah. Mm. It's seen as the antithesis of what masculinity needs to keep its grip on the world in this patriarchal sense. Mm. Whereas when you look at trans men, people hate them, but they hate them in a, in a sort of more ambivalent way. It's almost like good on you trying to get that power, which is not what it's about. Yeah, it all comes down to power, to patriarchal power written, structures, basically. Yeah. You've written about the, the transphobia, which is obviously still omnipresent for trans men. It dresses itself up in a different way in terms of concern or upset. And I thought it was really mm. fascinating, mm. if you wouldn't mind expanding on that a bit. Yes. So trans people, I mean, there aren't just trans men and trans women. So, you know, of course, any. of course. It's a huge rainbow. But if you look at 
trans men and trans women as sort of specific genres or people who are perceived to be trans men and trans women and on those ends of the spectrum. Yeah. They face transphobia in very different ways. So trans women are attacked with the idea that they are men and that men are dangerous and more sexualized. And so they're attacked in that way with that in mind. Uh, and so the attacks are more violent because when you attack a man, you are more violent. Of course. Whereas when you go to trans men, we're seen as still being women and we're just sort of misguided mm. and we're trying to claim masculinity for its positives in that sense that we want to be treated better by a patriarchal world, which everybody wants to be treated better by a patriarchal world. Everyone deserves better, but that's, again, not what being trans is about. Um, and so when trans men, in fact, it's dressed up in concern, it's dressed up in worry. People are concerned about what we're doing with our bodies. People are worried that we're misguided. People think we just need to be led and loved back into the fold, which in itself is a form of insidious conversion therapy, telling us that we're not who we are yeah. and we will be better if... But they always take that, oh, you know, you poor misguided child. And it's like, I'm a grown ass man. But yeah, so the, the idea is that that we are lesser. And you see that in general sexism, you know, very accomplished women are referred to as girls and young ladies. Yeah, happens all the time. By sexist people. And and that same dynamic is used against trans men, um, this infantilization. It's really insightful, I think, the way that you are able to articulate how that how that comes across and things. You mentioned earlier that your family weren't particularly of faith. So going to your family now being of faith, how's that been? They don't know yet. Oh, <laughs> I thought see. the way your face changed when we asked the question, I thought, is this where it's going? Wow. They don't know yet. They're not following you on Twitter? No, they don't use Twitter. They don't know what I do for a job. Like, they're just like, you just spent time online. I'm like, yes. And you write things. Yes. And they're happy with is that, that. A conscious decision not to not to share that. It is a conscious decision not to tell them. I'm just like I can't be asked to deal with that. Well, there's a plague. I will tell them when there is not a plague. Like I'm busy. My bandwidth is taken up. Yeah, there's there's a lot on. Also, when I say they're not of faith, it was it's very interesting. Um, so I said my dad has long hair and he has the goatee and. He once got thrown out of parents' evening for pretending to be Jesus. <laughs> ah, so he's got faith in the idea of Jesus, definitely. We didn't celebrate Christmas aside from like assuaging my grandparents. Like, I didn't know when Christmas was. Wow. So like this year I was walking around this park because that's what you're allowed to do with my priest. And I was like, is Christmas the 24th or the 25th? Wow, amazing. Like, oh my God, wow. Jay, no. Gosh. I was like... There's no danger that they'll hear this and we will have outed you to your family in ways you're not the, comfortable they with. They don't know what podcasts are. Fine. A lot of people are still in that position. Like, I'm writing a book about Jesus. We're signing the contract. It's coming out. Ah, they're going to find out something. Or they'll just continue to be oblivious and we'll never have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least our listeners are no longer oblivious to the many, yeah. many things that make you up as a person. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fascinating the way you, you sort of continue to butt others' expectations in almost every area of your life. Well, what's the point in being normal? Quite right. That is one of the subtitles of this podcast. <laughs> we often, when we come to the end of the podcast, we ask all our guests three qualities that they would build into people, into men in particular, to equip them best, I suppose, for the world in which we live. And we've touched on various different areas of masculinity and how they can inspire in the case of uh, Anthony Head in particular but what three qualities would you build into somebody if you had a Build-A-Bear workshop where you could build a man mm. I think I worded that one quite nicely there that was quite a good yeah you took your time but I took it, my time, it was, but it was a... sometimes worth waiting yeah, think, absolutely yeah. I mean if we're talking about we're building a man theoretically rather than in, in your Rocky Horror Picture Show sense of building a man yeah you don't have to actually do this work <laughs> no. you, you can just commission it I'm thinking 
I think I I build in a sense of kindness and gentleness. Mm. Number one, I think that's something a lot of men feel they can't be. Mm, yeah. I think a lot of trans men worry that they can't be when they transition. We're always warned that we'll become violent because of testosterone and that's complete nonsense. Yeah. yeah. It's just not true. It's a stereotype. I think I'd build in a willingness to be yourself. I think a lot of men are worried about transgressing masculinity to the point that they aren't fully who they are. Yeah, we've heard that before and I, I really agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would build in a quietness. I think men feel a need to take up a lot of space and be loud yeah. and fill areas which they don't need to fill. And also through that, there is an unwillingness within them to be with themselves yeah, and yeah. be introspective because of the fear of what that might turn up and whether that isn't masculine. Um, and so, yeah, that quietness and introspection, I think I would build in my dream man. You'd build quite a quiet bear, basically. You'd build yeah. Anthony Anthony Head. That's uh... <laughs> We keep coming back Maybe to it. it. But that's already been done by God. Yeah. But by the quietness, I suppose. But I don't know him personally. But um, I think that quietness is a, is a gorgeous way of putting it because quietness also allows other people to speak and other people to take up space um, yeah, as well as reflecting we could just do with less of particular men it's very true yeah absolutely <laughs> but as you say I think Jay's really right that the unwillingness to to be that quiet does come from a fear of what you might find if you go too deep what might you uncover I think so yeah it's much easier to live loudly and at a surface level for a very long chunk of your life yeah trans people do the deep dive and it can get stressful <laughs> yeah oh, it definitely must get stressful but we're very grateful you did the deep dive with us here where can people find you apart from in various cathedrals across the country gazing at yeah if all else fails just go to a random yeah. church and wait and wait until jay shows up i will but, be there but if not that if you're not willing to wait in a random cathedral until i turn up <laughs> the best place to find me is twitter i'm there far too often and all of the time and that's at jay hume poet i'm occasionally on instagram which is the same url and has exactly the same pictures but with less architectural description <laughs> and uh yeah look out for jay's many writings oh yeah i have that website where i write stuff yeah oh yeah that's that's worth mentioning yeah it, what, how do people access that yeah jhume.com jhume.com wonderful thank you so much jhume that's thanks been jay we've got through a lot there it's been a pleasure <laughs> fantastic <laughs> thank you very much jhume see you soon bye so that was Jay Hume, and now you know much more about churches than you ever expected to. <laughs> and how sexy they are. I've never yeah. heard a cathedral described as sexy. You now see churches in a different, slightly troubling light. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on from the troubling sexualisation of cathedrals, and we've had some lovely contact again this week through our many social media platforms, though I continue uh, to be off them. Uh, Mark didn't think it was possible, but I have managed to stay a whole week I have to hold my hands up and, and admit you have done it. You've stuck to it very well. So while I read this out, Mark is going to um, eat some humble pie. Uh, this uh, message is from the UAE, which I believe is the United Arab Emirates, where all the influencers went during the pandemic, right? You believe rightly, yes. Yeah, so this is Gary, who wanted to say he really loved the podcast. And as a sexually confused man who's been born and raised, as Jackie Cox, a previous guest, said, in a binarial society, it's been a very refreshing topic to listen and relate to. And he's looking forward to more episodes, which is wonderful. We have more episodes coming out every Monday. Very pleased with that. Also pleased to see that word that we coined uh, out of thin air being sort of <laughs> taken seriously by people. Um, <laughs> also, I'd like to just say hi to Erie, who we read their email out last week. And then they tweeted me saying, amazing to hear my email being read out. So, you know, nice to know that these are real people sometimes. And you've still got no proof of it if you're a listener. But I, I swear to you, this correspondence is real. <laughs> well, the next guest is it's new ground again for the podcast, I think. It's a person, well, his name is Devin Ibanez, 
and uh, is the first openly gay professional rugby player plays in the United States. This tilts the, the needle back towards sports for a start, so I was pleased. In rugby, when I kind of got rewarded for physicality and told that I was doing the right things, it really motivated me. And also, as time went on, I kind of realized that being told that I couldn't do something motivated me. I mean, as a rugby player, I was quite small and I wasn't a crazy athlete. So a lot of, a lot of times along the way, I was kind of told that I just couldn't do it. And I always like to use that fuel to kind of propel me forward. And I think that being a closeted rugby player also really gave me a lot of fuel that I could use in that way and just kind of turn into aggression. Yeah, really interesting. I know nothing about this world and we literally just had a conversation about how to introduce him because we weren't sure whether saying the first openly gay was major, major premier something. Well, it's fiddly because major league is not really a term that we have over here, but it is in, in the States. So, yeah. Sorry, I can hear listeners switching off, Mark, but Devin is brilliant. Basically, an, an American rugby player who was very <laughs> handsome and very interesting and has done pioneering work in the field of gay activism within sport. Yeah, he's a really great guest. I've realised that most of what we've been saying right now isn't going to make it into the podcast because Leanne likes these bits to be really short. Uh, <laughs> this isn't short, but the, the, the gist of it is you should tune in next week because we've got a really cool rugby player on and you'll like it. See you next week for the unveiling. Yeah. See you there for the unveiling. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.